Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Future is Bilingual podcast. I'm very happy you're here, and welcome if it's your first episode with me. Today's topic is raising fluent speakers or being fluent yourself. So we're going to talk about three different things. The first is bilingualism, and what does that mean? What does it mean to be bilingual? Um, which is, of course, important as it's in the title of this podcast. The second is what does it mean to be fluent? And then finally, um, seven ways we can help our children or ourselves reach our goal of fluency. So the first thing, who is a bilingual? What does it mean to be bilingual? So there's many different definitions for this. You can look them, look them up online and see what people have to say. Um, you may be wondering yourself if you really are bilingual. If, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in languages. You probably are studying at least one other language, if not more. Um, and I'd love to hear from you guys what languages you're learning right now. So if you want to find me on Instagram, you can let me know there. Um, my handle is the future is bilingual. But in any case, most of us here are interested in languages. Um, many of us would probably consider ourselves bilingual. But what does that mean? So really, it depends on how comfortable you feel in both of your languages. At least that's what I think. Um, but here's maybe three definitions of someone who is bilingual. So, of course, the first is someone who has two native languages. Someone who grew up speaking two languages would be considered a bilingual. Um, also, a bilingual would be someone who is fluent in two languages. So this is um, the category I would put myself in. I grew up speaking English, and then I later learned French um, to a pretty fluent level. So those are the two languages I would consider myself fluent in. Um, and this could be defined by taking an exam, like a certification exam, or not. Um, just depends on your life circumstances. And then the third category of someone who I would consider to be bilingual is someone who can communicate in two languages. So we're going to talk a little bit more about communication later, but I really don't think that you need an exam to prove that you speak a language to a certain degree. I think if you feel comfortable speaking another language, then you can consider yourself a bilingual. People may disagree with me on that, but that is what I'm here to say. Um, so yes, it is intentionally pretty broad um, in my view, but I think that it's up to the individual to decide if they feel comfortable speaking two languages, then they can consider themselves bilingual. Um, being bilingual is also part of your identity. So if you want to add that as something that you identify as, then I think you should go right ahead. Okay, our second point today is about fluency. How can we define fluency? What does it mean to be fluent? So this is another really big question. Um, you can see lots of people have made blog posts, videos, and certain things online all about fluency. So it is quite a topic um, if you want to delve into it. So here's a couple just quick definitions that I found, some um, common sites. So the first one, dictionary.com. This might have been the first one that came up when you type what is fluency or fluency definition. So the way that they defined it was being able, I'm quoting, being able to speak and write quickly or easily in a given language, end quote. Um, so they also mentioned that it comes from the Latin word fluentem, which I might say wrong, which means to flow. So um, if you speak, I don't know how many other languages use that, that idea of flowing, um, like water flowing, but the three other languages that I speak um, also use that. 
So in French, they say couramment. Je parle couramment en français. Um, or in Polish, they say puigne, which is about flowing. And then in Spanish, they say confluides. Um, so those, at least the four languages that I speak well, have that same idea of water, how it just kind of easily flows downstream without much effort. Okay, so I have a little bit of an issue with this definition. I do, for the most part, agree. However, I do not believe that someone who is illiterate, someone who cannot read and write, would not be considered fluent in their language. Um, I have studied a lot of anthropology, um, which talks looks at different cultures, and I just I don't think it's fair to say that someone would have to speak, listen, and read and write to be fluent. I think language started as a spoken communication um, or signed, depending, but that it was really more about spoken language before people started to write language down back in Egypt many, many, many years ago. But it really did start as a spoken language. So I have a little bit of a problem with the fact that they said that you need to be able to also write quickly or easily. Okay, so I looked for another definition. Um just, oh, before I move on, though, there was just a quick little statistic that I thought was really interesting. Um, it came while I was doing some research, and I thought, why not include it here? It's just um, a little statistic about literacy. So the um, website ourworldindata.org published um, some information in 2013, and then they revised it in 2018. So I'm going to quote what they said. While only 12% of the people in the world could read and write in 1820, 12%. Today, the share has reversed. In 2016, only 14% of the world population remained illiterate. So completely switched. Instead of being mostly illiterate, 2016 were mostly literate. Um, back to the quote. Over the last 65 years, the global literacy rate increased by 4% every five years, from 42% in 1960 to 86% in 2015. So my parents were alive in 1960, and it's just amazing, kind of blows my mind to think that this is the world population, but that only 42%, less than half of the world in 1960, was literate. Um, And just to see how much that has grown to be now probably more, but in 2015 to be 86%. Um, I do, I like numbers, I like data. So um, thank you for letting me add that into this discussion. But I just think it is really amazing that we've um, raised the literacy rate so much in a quick amount of time. But my point still stands that you do not need to have to be able to read and write in order to, for me, at least to consider you a bilingual. So there's a lot of heritage speakers of Chinese um, that don't know how to read and write because it's a very complicated written system. And I would still argue that those people are fluent. If they can communicate with people, if they can um, speak with people of that community, then I would say they are definitely fluent in that language. Okay, so that was the first definition from dictionary.com. Another dictionary that I also like to look at is Merriam-Webster's. Um, and they're based in Springfield, a town near me. Uh, so they define the word fluent as three different things. A, capable of using a language easily and accurately. B, effortlessly 
smooth and flowing. So back to that water metaphor. And C, having or showing mastery of a subject or skill. So you can say that you're fluent in algebra, I guess. Um, so that's just another definition that um, I thought was interesting. Okay, the final definition of fluency that I want to share with you today comes from someone I recently found, uh, thanks to the Polsky Daily uh, podcast and website. Um, so she recently interviewed Luca Lampariello, who is um, a really well-known polyglot, and I'm surprised um, I didn't know about him before. So he is from Italy. He speaks 13 languages um, fluently, and he's continuing to learn more. So he's just an amazing guy. Um, and he makes YouTube videos. He does all sorts of things. So if you check him out, his website is just his name. Um, but again, you can look him up. He's on all sorts of social media. Um, he had a YouTube video that I watched recently called How to Achieve Language Fluency. Um, and I thought that his definition, which he gave, um, was really on target, really just well put. And again, he's someone who, he's a language coach. He does this for a living. He works helping people to achieve fluency and their language goal. So I think he really knows um, how to define fluency quite well. So I'm going to read his quote, which is, spoken fluency is the linguistic ability combined with cultural awareness to confidently and smoothly communicate with native speakers in a meaningful way. So really, I love his definition for so many reasons, but the fact that he includes cultural awareness shows that language is not just about words and stringing them together, but really knowing more about the culture, more about when you should say certain things, more about if there's an honorific term that you need to use, if you need to change the way you say something, depending on the situation. There's just so much cultural awareness that, that um, is involved in language that it's not just about the words. Um, and he says to confidently and smoothly. So it's not just about smoothly and easily, but with confidence. Um, and that's a big part of his language coaching is that he helps people kind of get over their mental roadblocks that are keeping them from progressing, keeping them from speaking with people and practicing. Um, and again, not just to communicate with them, but to communicate in a meaningful way. So just so many parts of his definition resonated with me as someone who tries to learn to learn languages, um, is trying to teach my kids to speak other languages. And I just think he really nailed it there. So thank you, Luca. Um, and please check him out. Since you're someone who's interested in languages, you would really um, appreciate his stuff. So looking at fluency, um, it really is going to differ from person to person. If we are basing it on just confidence, ability to speak um, meaningfully with people. And I think that uh, even from language to language, you might reach the point of fluency at a different part of the spectrum. Um, person to person, people are going to reach that point where they feel confident at a different point in their language learning journey. So it could take somebody, there's many people on the internet saying, learn Chinese in three months or learn any language in six months. Um, so Maybe it'll happen that quickly, maybe not. Um, I really think it depends on the individual. It depends on how much time and effort they can put into it. It depends on your prior linguistic knowledge, because knowing other languages might help you, um, depending on the language you're trying to learn. It depends on so many factors. Um, 
if you're in a country where it's spoken, you're going to have an ability to pick it up quicker because you're surrounded by it versus just trying to learn it on your own. There's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, but I do want to think about fluency as being on a spectrum. I don't think it's a yes, no, like an off, an on-off switch. Um, I think it's more about you go from not knowing anything about a language, which when we're babies, that's how we all are. Um, but, you know, before I learned Polish, I knew nothing about the Polish language or Poland, the country. And then there's at the other end of the spectrum, knowing every single thing there is to know about a language. And I really don't think that anybody reaches that far end. I think we are all somewhere in the middle. If we're learning a language or if we already speak the language, we definitely fall somewhere in the middle there. Um, and even when we're native speakers, we don't know everything there is to learn about, um, everything there is to know about a language. So none of us, I think, ever reach that, that final end point of the spectrum. Um, no one speaks a language perfectly. Nobody knows all the words in the dictionary, even the people who make a dictionary. Um, there are, it's a team. It's not one person. So I just don't think anybody reaches that point of perfection. Um, and also you can think about there's lots of literary terms that, you know, even as a native speaker, I have to look up words sometimes. There's outdated vocabulary from Shakespearean era, from other eras. Um, there's lots of specialized vocabulary. So different trades have very specialized words. Uh, there's a lot of uncommon words that not, aren't necessarily literary, but aren't commonly used. I mean, the list goes on and on of the different words that encompass a language. So none of us know, know it all. None of us probably ever will. And that's fine because that's not our goal. Our goal is not to get to the end of the spectrum. Our goal is to get to a point of comfort where we can use it and feel confident and have meaningful communication with people. Um, there's also lots of slang. So even if language stayed the same always um, and just had things from the past and up to today, there's still all the new slang getting made. So if you spend just a few minutes with a high schooler, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, language is constantly evolving, constantly changing. So every generation is adding new things to it. So there's just no way to ever know everything there is to know about a language. Okay, so the third and final part of this episode, which if you're a parent like me, you probably care the most about, is how can we raise our children to be fluent or bilingual speakers? So I've got seven different ways um, I think we can help them to achieve that goal. And again, like I said, fluency is not, it's not one specific point. It's going to depend on each individual, each child to yourself. Um, but here are some things we can do to help. So the first and most obvious one is to speak with them, speak in the target language. Um, whatever that language is for you that you speak with your children, speak it, speak it, speak it all the time. Um, so the more input that they can get, the better it's going to be for them, the easier it's going to be just to pick up all the different sounds, all the different words, all the different nuances. Um, if you are not the one that's speaking uh, the target language, then try and create a routine where they can spend time with people who do speak that language. So um, in my case, we speak Polish at home and we used to have a routine where my kids would see my mom um, who spoke English with them at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. That has changed now with the coronavirus um, and quarantine at home. 
but that worked out really well for us when we were able to get out because they would at least see her twice a week. They would have all that English exposure. And I felt like their languages were much more balanced when they were seeing my mom. Um, we would also have Sunday dinners often with my family. So that was another way where they got lots more exposure with English. And often my sister would come up from the city and my father would come and they would just have all those different different voices, different people. Um, so if you can create some sort of routine like that where you know that they will see those people, um, they're going to spend time with them. Or if it's a friend that they can, you know, every two weeks, every week, hang out with a certain friend, um, whatever it is. But adults and children alike, we learn best with face-to-face interactions. Um, unfortunately, putting them in front of a screen and hoping that they'll just pick up Japanese, German, whatever the language is, they might. They might pick some up, but it's not going to be as effective as having a person having face-to-face interaction. So speaking, that is number one. Second is to build their vocabulary through reading. So we all know the benefits of reading to our children, right? We can start from day one when they're born. People start even before that in utero. Um, There's just, there's lots and lots of benefits to reading. It's also just a wonderful time to sit and be close and share something. Um, They're hearing your voice. There's just lots of benefits to it. Um, But also think about how the words, uh, the language used in books is usually a little bit more sophisticated. Um, There's different vocabulary than things we would normally say in everyday life. So there are lots of benefits for vocabulary. Um, And as children get older, as they're able to read on their own, um, we know that they can learn so much more vocabulary if they are readers, if it's something that they do um, actively, if it's just part of their, their life. Um, There's lots of studies to show that those kids just have better vocabularies. They know more words. Um, They usually do better at school, et cetera, et cetera. So you can look look up those studies if you're interested. But definitely more rich and more descriptive language is usually found in books versus the language we speak on a day-to-day basis. Number three is to make it fun. So there's lots of ways to make... um, time speaking this language fun. It could be music, dancing, TV shows, games, you know, not just board games, but maybe language games. Um, even my, my three-year-old, he likes to play kind of I Spy, um, different sound games, rhyming games, things like that. You could have them um, set up some play dates. So if you know other children who speak the same language, that's an amazing way because, as we know, kids will listen to each other uh, more than they probably listen to us as their parent. You can plan some trips um, somewhere where the language is spoken. So this can be just as easy as going to grandma's. It can be going to a store. So if you have like a local store that speaks your language, it can also be going to the country where that language is spoken. Um Lots of different things you could do, but having a trip, having something exciting planned, um, depending on their age, you know, you can have them be the one to check out, um, to ask for help, to maybe order. You can go to a restaurant and have them be the one to order. There's lots of ways you can kind of make this exciting and fun. It doesn't have to be sit down and do a worksheet or um, anything that's that's not as engaging. Uh, also, you can cook with them. Recipes are really great and um kind of repetitive also the way that recipes are set up they can quickly learn 
the vocab that they need um, to make a recipe. And then you can speak the language while you cook. And of course, they get to eat whatever they made afterwards. So that's really nice. So anyway, make it fun. It depends. You know your children better than I do. So what would they enjoy the most? Go and do that. Um, sports. There's lots of fun things that you can do. Okay, number four. This is um, to teach them circumlocution. So this is something I would do with my students uh, back in high school when I used to teach. Um, and it has to do with vocabulary, a lack of vocabulary. So when we don't know the word for something, oftentimes we just will say it in our native language. And I do this all the time. I'm so guilty. I do this with my husband all the time because he speaks, his English is, you know, fluent and it's great. So I can just speak Polish and insert English word that I don't know. And I myself, I need to practice this skill a lot more. So um, circumlocution is when you use language to describe the word you don't know so that your interlocutor, the person you're speaking with, can provide the word for you. So for example, if I don't know the word for hair dryer, I could explain that I need the thing you use to dry your hair. You know, and they might say towel and I might say, no, the machine, plug it in. Oh, the hair dryer. And I say, oh, yeah, the hair dryer. Thank you. So if you don't know the word, you can kind of go around it, explain it. And then hopefully the person uh, you're speaking with can provide you the word. So I used to have my upper level um almost, you know, advanced like level four students practice this. And I'd give them all these random words that they wouldn't know, like can opener, um, hair dryer, you know, those kind of things. And it was just interesting to see them try and explain the word. Um, it, it is tough. It's, it's definitely a, a process. Um, it's something you have to practice. But if you teach your child to do this, they might not just default back to their stronger language because one language will usually always be stronger. Um, and this is really, it's a great tool. Um, but also remember that there's no magic number that's going to make you a fluent speaker. It's not that when you reach, you know, 3,000 words, you're suddenly fluent. Um, if you are able to explain, if you're able to get your point across and have the person you're speaking with understand you, then you're communicating fluently. So having this tool of circumlocution is going to help you use the language without having to revert back to another language. Okay, so the fifth thing you can do to help your child become more of a fluent or uh, bilingual speaker is to not forget about nonverbal communication. So native speakers, you probably already do these things um, just naturally, but as someone who is teaching my, my children a language that's not my native language, I have to pay attention, um, watch what native speakers do, maybe do some research on hand gestures, facial expressions, sounds. Um, so watching TV and movies can help, um, but these are usually very culturally specific. Uh, there was a study done by Albert uh, Mehrabian, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, in 1971, and he found that words only... Uh, the literal words we said only gave 7% of the overall message and the tone of the voice was responsible for 38% and your body language was 55%. Um, so there's lots of controversy over the truth to the study, but 
um, basically these these statistics, these numbers only really apply when talking about feelings and talking about when someone is saying yes, but they mean no, or vice versa. They're saying like, oh, does that bother you? And they say, no, no, it doesn't. But their body language is kind of saying yes. So when there's an opposition to what you're saying and what you're meaning. Um, nevertheless, I do think it is important to think about body language and think about all the nonverbal cues that we that we use um, that just come naturally. And this is really a way that people can show that they're a native speaker is by doing some of these gestures. Um, and also people who aren't native, uh, if you're learning language, they can be confusing. So if you see someone do it and you don't know what they mean, it, it can be a little bit um, surprising. And I used to teach this um, different gestures and sounds that French people make to my intermediate and advanced level students in French. Um, and I even have kind of a funny story that uh, when I was studying abroad in France, my friend, my American friend and I were at the post office and we're standing in line. And there was a couple people ahead of us and we suddenly just heard and we didn't know. We thought, did someone just fart? What, what was that? And uh, it was actually in um, in France, if you kind of shrug your shoulders and you say like, it means like, I don't know, or I don't care. Um, so the guy in front of us had just communicated that to his um, his friend, but we were like giggling like little kids. We didn't know what happened. So again, it can be confusing because to us, that's just not how we would have said, I don't know, I don't care. But it was just normal um, for French people to do that. Okay, the sixth thing that you could do to help your child become more fluent or bilingual is to instill a sense of pride in them. So they are part of a, a linguistic community. And um, the more you can help them feel pride, um, make it part of their identity, so that's something that they they can identify with, they want to be part of it, um, that'll help them. You can remind them of special things that they get to do, special celebrations or trips or vacations, um, holidays, whatever would help um, make them feel kind of special. Because a lot of kids, when they're going through the middle school, even older elementary, they don't want to be different. They want to be the same. They want to fit in. Um, so it can be a little bit tricky. Uh, however, the more you can kind of make them realize that you know, it's okay that you can do this. Look, you can switch. You're able to switch back and forth between your two languages, your two cultures. That's so amazing. Um, and not make them feel weird. Just make them feel like it's it's a good thing. They have this capability. Uh, so praising them, praising them for their ability, praising them for things that they know how to do and how that makes them special. Because even if kids don't say it, um, you know, all kids want to be, they want to be seen they want to be appreciated. They do want to be special. You know, we all, uh, we're all individuals and kids are pretty egocentric. So they're really just thinking about themselves and they do probably deep down know that they are unique and special. So to hear their parents say that, even if they say, oh, you're just saying that mom, shut up, mom. Um, I'm sure that does mean something to them. Okay. So lastly, um, our ultimate goal is communication. So this is my last point. Number seven is to make communication the main focus here. Okay. Communication is not going to be perfect. It's not going to be pretty all the time. Even as native speakers, we pause, we take a few seconds to think, maybe we say the wrong word. We have to correct ourselves. 
Um, we often say things we don't mean. We do lots of little errors, um, but we still are fluent speakers. So don't get caught up in the idea of perfection. Even while I'm recording this podcast, I'm going to be deleting some things out and editing uh, the sound of it because it's not all perfect and fluent, even though I'm speaking in my native language. So get rid of the idea of perfection. And definitely don't uh, overcorrect your, your child. Don't make them feel like they can't speak. You want to give them confidence. You want to make them feel great about every effort that they're using to speak your language and not belittle them and say that they're not doing enough. So praise them, praise their efforts. Don't overcorrect them. We're aiming for communication. We're aiming for confidence, not perfection. Okay, so those are my seven tips. Um, I do have one bonus tip for you guys. This, however, is not for young children. So this isn't really for parents, but more for um, young adults, parents, um, if you're learning a language for yourself. That is to work on your accent. So again, I don't suggest critiquing your child's accent, especially if they're um, <clears throat> if they're older. Uh, when they're little, they're receptive to it. When they're two, three, four, um, you can make little adjustments, but they're still learning. Um, if you have an older child, I do not suggest over critiquing the way they say things. Um, it's just going to uh, make them feel bad about speaking that language. So this is more for yourself um, to work on your accent, because as we know, if someone has a foreign accent, it's kind of a telltale sign that they're speaking a language that's not their native tongue. So I think it's really, um, it is important. And if you're willing to do the work, you can really um, work on your accent and also work on your listening skills. So uh, when I was learning French, I started in middle school. I had a very heavy American accent, as most of us uh, in middle school and high school do. And it, it lasted all the way up through high school. So even on my AP French exam, I still had that very heavy American accent. And uh, we actually made some ca cassette tapes to record and practice. And I've gone back, not recently, but I have listened to them and it was just painful. Um, and I know I'm dating myself by saying that I used cassette tapes in the past, but yes, that's what we used to record in my uh, junior year of high school. Anyway, um, I do remember that in uh, university, I had a course with one of my favorite professors, Professor Aquisto, that was about uh, working on our pronunciation, saying words correctly, and it was really specifically designed for English speakers and the sounds that are hard for us to pronounce and to distinguish. So um, there's something in linguistics called minimal pairs, and those are two words that are exactly the same except for one sound. And this is especially difficult when it's a sound that we don't make in our native tongue. So for example, I, I specifically remember um, a long sentence that worked on the R sound in French or the R and then the U and U. So those are two different U kind of sounds in French. So one is written O-U, U, and the other one is written with just a U, U. So the words like Rue and rue, rue and rue. Um, just working on pronouncing those correctly so that you could make a distinct sentence. Um, in any case, I do uh, really thank that professor. That class helped me a lot, even though it was a lot of work. 
And I remember being very frustrated because we would record and we would submit it to the teacher and he would critique it and we'd have to try it again. And it was very challenging, but it was also very rewarding. There's nothing that feels better than having someone mistake you for uh, a native speaker. Uh, So I think it is worth the time and the effort to work on your language and work on your accent specifically so that you can at least be more easily understood by the people you're speaking with. And then that'll make your interactions easier for everyone because they'll understand you better. And then you won't feel as frustrated that you're not being understood. Okay. Um, And also, I think I said it earlier that uh, we need to work on our listening skills as well. So even having the ability to hear those different sounds. So we talked about that earlier. So just a quick recap of the seven or actually eight things you can do to help yourself or your child to become more fluent. So number one was speak the language. Speak it as much as you can. And if you're the one trying to learn the language, practice it. Practice it as much as you can and even start to think it in your head. So I used to tell my students to do that, to think to themselves in French, what do I need to do? But say, hmm, qu'est-ce que je dois faire aujourd'hui? Um, the second thing you can do from speaking is reading. Read as much as you can to your child or for yourself. The next thing is to make it fun. Make sure it's enjoyable. Don't force yourself to do something um, if it's not something that you enjoy doing. So if you don't enjoy reading the politics section of the newspaper, don't force yourself to do that in your target language. Rather, read something that's more interesting to you or listen to a podcast or watch a movie or just listen to music, whatever it is that you find more joy in. Fourth thing is to work on your circumlocution. And as I admitted, I also need to work on doing this. So that's the ability to explain the word you're looking for in that language. Um, So instead of, you don't know the word for mailbox, you can say the place where we place letters for the mail man, whatever, you know, whatever the situation is. So I also need to work on that. Um, The fifth thing is to focus or not forget about nonverbal communication, hand gestures, facial expressions, sounds that we might make, things like that. The sixth thing is to work on pride and instilling a sense of pride into your child, maybe attending some festivals if those happen in your area. Um, I know they do in ours a lot of times during the summer, Um, maybe a parade, things like that. Seventh thing is to make sure that you're focusing mostly on communication or meaningful communication. So if your child is able to communicate with you and everything you can get the point across, then that's awesome. Praise them. That's great. Um, we want to instill confidence in them. We want to make sure that they feel like they are part of this community. That's to do with the pride as well, and that they can get by and talk to us in that language. And then finally, um, if you have a language you're working on yourself, um, is to work on your accent. So again, I don't don't suggest doing this with an older child just because it makes it a little bit um, sensitive and they might want to stop speaking that language. Okay, so I hope that this episode was helpful and um, I'd love to hear from you guys if you have tips or tricks on how to become more fluent. Um, I'd love to know what languages you are learning, what languages you're teaching your children. So you can find me at the future is bilingual on Instagram. You can also email me at tfib um, at 
podcast at gmail.com. So that stands for the future is bilingual podcast, T-F-I-B podcast at gmail.com. Um, I'm also always looking for more people to interview. So if you grew up bilingual or if you're raising your children bilingually, I would love to hear from you. I would love to interview you. So please reach out and let me know. And I hope that uh, you stay tuned for the next coming episode. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.